0: Parenting is one of the most difficult, challenging um, jobs that there is. I think of uh, nothing that, in a sense, can be harder because it pulls at your heartstrings. Your desire is to see uh, life change. Or your desire to see your children make wise choices, and yet you know that you don't even always make good choices, and so you know that they're watching. Or and, and nothing leads, I think nothing can lead us to more desperate prayers than our children. If you're blessed with children, that is, becomes probably the main topic a lot of times of our prayers is our desire to see them come to saving faith or come to know Jesus or to make those good choices. And um, over the years, I can't help but think of uh, the opportunities that I've had to uh, invest in the lives of my own children already, but also in the lives of other children and partnering with parents. And so I want to just challenge you, even this morning, say maybe you're like, Eric, I don't have kids. And you just keep talking about parenting. Uh, like, can, when are you going to move on? This is, well, for one, this is last week. Next week, we're going to jump back into Mark and kind of look back at our, our, the book of the Bible that we were studying um, prior to this series and prior to Easter. Um, but I want to encourage you, there's nothing greater than seeing the next generation come to know Jesus. And that does not mean that you have to personally have children to do that. Uh, One of the great things about Redeemer and about church life is that people can invest in the lives of other children, that it is a, a, a village, it's a team effort in seeing the next generation. Yes, the primary responsibility falls on the parent. This is what we've been really talking about. It is my job as a parent, as a father, it is my job as a parent and as a father to my children to see them come to saving faith. Now, can I make that happen in their life? No, no, it's not. I can't save them. It's not my job. I can't save them. But I can lead them. I can guide them. I can model Christ's likeness to them. But Deuteronomy 6 gives us a powerful illustration of what it looks like to transfer and ha- practical ways of transferring uh, the, the, the love of God and the commands of God to the next generation. But I want to start this morning, as I did a few weeks ago, as we transitioned to, from marriage to parenting. And I want you to see something that stood out to me several years ago as I was doing my Bible readings every year and, and reading, through, trying to read through the Bible. And uh, and if, if, as you read Genesis and as you get into the Exodus and you see as God's people are leaving Israel, are leaving Egypt, they became slaves. If you know a little bit of Israel history, uh, it started with some famines and Joseph actually of all things ends up in Egypt. And sure enough, through a bunch, I'm leaving out a boatload of details, but his family ends up moving to Egypt. And that was the family of God. This was through the line of Abraham that I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And and you're going to have this family that's as numerous as the stars. And what happened is they became slaves in Egypt. But that in slavery, they kept growing in number and growing in number and growing in number. Two Most uh, theologians and others estimate that about a million Israelites were leaving Egypt as they were crossing through the Red Sea and as they go on the wanderings through the the wilderness before they get to the promised land. I want you to think about that, about a million people. That's a lot of people. I don't think we quite understand a million. Like if you put it in one dollar bills, how tall that would get. Uh, Austin sent me a video of, of, um, of, <laughs> of uh, oh man, I can't think of his name, uh, Elon Musk. And Elon Musk and his wealth, and if like, you stacked it into dollar bills, his wealth would go all, it doesn't quite make the circumference of the earth if you're just in dollar bills. And so when we think of money and monetary, it's, like, it's hard to understand a million. So a million is a, a lot of people. I want you to think of it this way, because a million's a big number, and that was the ones leaving Egypt. This people of God, they're the ones who are given this command in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel. Look at it in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here he's calling the people of Israel to transfer, like like, invest in your children and teach them. Be diligent in this. Impress the word of God onto their hearts. This was the call for Israel. And now, again, think of that million people of Israel leaving as they go. And and God parts a Red Sea for them, the miracles. He provides manna for them. They see these things. And they're to tell the next generation about what God had done. Oh, how God had had fed us over the years. How God protected us from, from this invading army and this. And they were to tell these things over and over again. They were to share these things with their children and their children's children. But I want to fast forward, if you've you've read into the prophet Elijah, if you go into 1 Kings and you get to about chapter 18 or so, you see Elijah is depressed. He's the prophet of God. And if you know the story, the childhood story, probably we say a childhood story, but it's a Bible story that we tell our kids often. And one of those stories is the prophets of Baal and this, this showdown and, 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 and how Baal's prophets are cutting themselves, hurting themselves, chanting and praying that, the Lord, that, that their gods would send down fire and consume this, this sacrifice on an altar. And they did this for hours and hours and hours and nothing. And then Elijah prays to the God of heaven, the one true God, Yahweh, prays and the Lord sends down fire and consumes the altar, everything on it. The water that was all over it that they had poured on and everything. This amazing high that Elijah experienced, but it quickly led to an extremely low because he felt like he was the only one. He literally thought, I'm the only one in all of Israel. There's no one left. All the prophets have been killed. The the, the people of God are gone. There's no one left. The Lord reminded him, no, there there are some left. But I want you to hear this. You know how many were left? 4,000. Now, again, we don't sometimes comprehend this, but I want you to take a million and then now 4,000. You know what that is? That's 99 point something percent. We're not following the Lord anymore. How does that happen? How does that happen? How do you go from from a million leaving Egypt, seeing signs and wondering, seeing the Lord lead before them and go, to now a few hundred years later, there's a prophet and about 4,000 other people who are still calling on the name of the Lord. What happened to the 99.6 or 7, 8% or whatever it is? Someone who's a statistician can tell me later. Exactly, don't do it right now though. (laughs) But the point is this. What happens in the day in and day out? The warnings are all here. He says it in our passage that we've been studying the past few weeks. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you do not get this one... You cannot transfer it. If God hasn't impressed himself into your heart, if your heart hasn't been radically changed by the Lord, you naturally are not going to be able to do that and share that love to your kids and to your children's children. And here is the warning. The warning is that from generation to generation, people end up not knowing the Lord. And so what can we practically do to help our children come to saving faith. Again, I remind you, you cannot save your children. You cannot rescue them. Uh, you're not always going to be there even for them physically, but let alone spiritually. You're not going to be able to do that. That is not within your power, but it is your God-given ability and right and power to lead your family. This is a call, this is a command in Scripture for fathers to invest and to train your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. is this word training, that is the same word that that is used Paul is using as well later on as he's telling us to train and for pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's the same word he's using with fathers in training their children in Ephesians six. So what can we practically do? And I want to be really, really practical with you this morning, give you a few examples of what we do in our home and some things that we should probably do in our home that maybe we, we, we get seasonally good at and then we kind of fade a little bit. And again, those drifts that we all kind of fall into. But what do we practically do? And I'm going to give you about seven or eight things this morning. And so one is this. Is if, first thing, if we want to transfer the faith to the next generation, we want to be engaging in intentional discipleship with our children. First, it has to start with teaching by example. We teach by example, we teach by our own example. There's a difference between telling something and teaching something. Like, I can tell you, I can tell you, for instance, what you need to fish. But usually, someone needs to be taught. And so, now, naturally, right, the greatest teacher of all time, it seems like now, all of a sudden, is YouTube. It teaches us everything. You go to YouTube and you're like, well, how do I, for instance, my son's getting, getting into carving all of a sudden. He's like, he's like getting in the, in the garage and he's wanting to carve wood and different things. He's whittling away at all these kind of things. And so naturally, what am I going to do? I'm like, I want to help him. I want to connect with him in this way. I'm, it's not like we have a ton of these kind of tools and that kind of stuff, but we have a few, enough to get by. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to go to YouTube and I'm going to go, YouTube, show me and teach me how to carve a fish in, in this nice block of wood. And that's what we're going to attempt. I'm going to show you our effort here maybe in a month or so, and we'll see how bad of carvers we are, Um, but we'll try our best. But the point is, like, you have to be be taught. You have to learn, okay, well, I need certain tools. Maybe I need to know what to have, and then how do you have the skill? Maybe you draw it out. Maybe you take this kind of saw, and you slowly cut here, and then you take some sandpaper, and you do a whole lot of sandpaper, and more sandpaper, and more sandpaper, and more sandpaper, and different grits of sandpaper. But you're going to teach and that's what i'm going to do with my son i'm going to try to teach him but i'm going to be being taught myself because i don't know how to do it so i can't just tell him i've got to learn myself and see here when we teach others first it starts with our own example that's why in this passage he says Hear, O israel the lord your god the lord is one you personally you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your might this is something that we demonstrate by our lo- uh, we demonstrate our love for God and obedience to His commandments in our daily life. What does that look like? I talked about that a couple weeks ago. You can li- listen back to that sermon if you don't remember or you weren't able to be here. But when we talk about example, we, we there's there's various things. Do, do your children see that you prioritize worship? Do they see that you gather on Sundays together as a church family? Do they see you maybe reading your Bible? Do they see that in you? that you care about these things, that you actually prayed? Have they ever seen you praying? Do they hear you pray? Do they even, like, I think of the example in this room. Think about it. When we sing together, may the peoples praise you. Think of all the kids that were in here earlier and some of the older kids that are in here now and teenagers. They're looking, right? They're seeing. Is dad, Does dad mumble does he sing does he not sing does he pay attention is he not paying attention is is mom engaged in worship they're they're observing and they're seeing by our example am i following these things now here's the point the point is that goodness listen i i I really want y'all to know like if you could peer into my life i am absolutely not perfect oftentimes they get to see the bad examples of me not doing the right thing and what do i have to do the, the, the example that, that I teach is that, man, dad messed up again. Dad shouldn't have responded that way. Hey, I, I, I responded in anger. Or in that moment, I, in discipline, that wasn't from a love. That was from anger and hurt and frustration in me. What does that look like? It's an example of teaching confession and seeking repentance. That's an important lesson to teach your children. That's one of the, actually one of the best lessons that you can teach them. Because you're modeling the gospel. The gospel is like, no, I'm not good enough. I never could be good enough. And that's why I need Jesus. And so when you do mess up, when you make the mistakes, when you don't, man, you're like, for instance, maybe you haven't read your Bible in a few weeks. What would that look like to confess that? Man, I know that I've been asking you to read your Bible, son, but, you know, actually, I haven't either very much lately. And I know I want to, but sometimes you just, things get in the way, things get... Confess those things. Let them see that you're real that they, because they're going to see the realness of you. But when they, they can see the genuineness of your heart that you really do love God, that is evidence in their life. They see that. And so first, when we're trying to disciple, engaging in discipleship with our children, it starts with teaching by example. The second, and this is where I want to get practical for you as well, is another great way to do this is through family devotions family devotions. Now, I know for many of you that might be like a brand new thing, or some of you, maybe you're experts, and you could teach us a, th- a thing or two. But let me, let me just kind of give you a picture of what family, de- when I say family devotions, basically it's setting aside regular time for family devotions where you read, maybe read the Bible, discuss its topic, discuss its teaching, um, and maybe and spend some time in prayer. You could sing a song together as well if you want, maybe a children's song, or you can sing a worship song. Some of the songs that we sing here, put on Apple Music and play it and just start singing uh, together with it. Sing a song or two together. But family devotions is setting aside a regular time. I would encourage you, like if this is really, really new to you, I would encourage you try to set aside one night a week for this. Look at your your, your schedules. Try to figure out, okay, what is one night that is kind of like a calm night for us? You know, It's not a night where we have maybe our community group or where normally we're with family or this is a night that oftentimes we travel or different things. Maybe another night. Maybe that's a Tuesday night. Maybe it's a Thursday, Friday night. Whatever in the rhythm of your family that is, is to set aside that night to like, okay, we're going to look at God's Word together. Or maybe we're going to read a devotion together. I would encourage you to put that around regular rhythms. So, for instance, right, a regular rhythm would be maybe the dinner table. So at the dinner table, so you gather together. And so even if that's not a regular thing, make that one night a regular thing. Like maybe you're not sitting down at the table every, every night for dinner. Well, make that one a fun night. Maybe like we have pizza or something, and it's a, kind of a pizza night thing, and, and or maybe it turns into a, f- a whole family night where it's like we play a game together, we um, watch a movie together, we do something fun together, and it's like our family night, or maybe it's going out to eat but make a part of that a family devotion where you look at scripture together where you maybe you open up God's word or maybe even it's as simple as this is one night a week using what the ki- your children are learning in Redeemer Kids for instance and having a few questions uh, a, a part of that and asking a few questions well what did you what did you learn this evening or this morning what was what did you learn about God or what did you learn about yourself what did you what did, what did, what did God's word teach you how how can you know these things? And a lot of that, I said this last week, a lot of this opportunity during this time is asking questions. Asking questions about the text. What does this passage teach us about God? And what does it teach us about who we should be and how we should respond? I mean, those are two easy questions to ask yourself about text, about the text when you're reading it and also to ask your children. Is to look at God's Word. What have these looked like? through the various stages for, in our family. I would say early on, it was, it was like a little Bible story. We had a little Bible story book, and we would, you know, even as they were an infant, right, a part of the nighttime, bedtime routine, we'd put Colson, he was the firstborn, so we put Colson down, and then we would just read, a, a read from the Bible story, read to him, tell him goodnight. He had no idea what was going on. He doesn't even remember this, I'm sure. Uh, but then, you know, over the years, we would just read that. But then all of a sudden, you have two kids, or maybe you end up with three kids, or four kids, five, six, I don't know how many you have out there, but seven, eight, nine, I don't know. But, um, but as, you, as, you, as you have more children, obviously, the age range is varying. Very much, right? You might have the rambunctious three-year-old who's totally distracted, and then you have the infant who's crying, and then you've got the seven-year-old who's ready to listen, actually. And you're like, finally, he's ready to listen, but everything, all mayhem is broken out in your home. That happens. It happens frequently. It probably happened a couple nights ago in our house. Um, but the the point is this: is setting aside some regular time. So, for instance, if your kids are really rambunctious at night. Maybe that's not the best time to do it. Maybe it's at the dinner table or at a more calmer time. Or maybe in your rhythms, you can do this. It's not in our rhythm. Maybe it's in the morning. Uh, you set aside early time in the morning. If you're a morning person, your whole family is a morning person. You could do it around that time. The point is this, then. I want to emphasize this. It's setting aside some regular time. What I've often seen is this, is when someone starts it like once a week, it turns into maybe a couple more times a week. Or it turns into every, every night of the week. To some degree in our family, it's about every every night of the week, and it varies. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's a little bit longer, sometimes it's more discussion, sometimes it's just read a passage of Scripture, kind of talk about it for a second, and pray. Sometimes it's just we pray only, um, depending on the rhythm of our, our, our week and our day. But the point is this, is setting aside some time for intentional family devotions and looking at God's Word. Number three is this, is intentional conversations. So not only just teaching by your example, having trying to establish a rhythm of family devotions, but third is intentional conversations. If you notice in our text that we've been looking at and highlighting over the past three weeks, is says these words shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Notice the rhythms here. You teach them diligently. For one, that's the intent intention. You're diligently. You're earnest in this. You teach them diligently to your children. Notice this. Talk to them on their, on, their, on their way. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see the intentionality of conversation here. It's engaging in intentional conversations. Uh, in, a, in a book I uh, had read several, several years ago, it had a story of a, of a, I think it was a doctor who had seven children. <laughs> and of these seven children, um, He would set aside one night to be intentional with each of his children. He set out every night of the week, each of them had one of their nights. And each of those nights, they got an extra 30 minutes with their dad. And so everyone else is going to bed. All the children are going to bed. And then for those 30 minutes, he would spend with one of his children. They would, and so even this man was busy as he was and with having this many children because pri- it was an intention. Was, it was a priority to him. And so he took intentional time with each of his kids, that extra 30 minutes. Uh, yesterday, for instance, Amanda would have taken Colson to, to breakfast, just to have some intentional time together, to, not distracted, to just to, to engage each other, to love each other, to, to, to talk, to, to share, to listen. Being intentional with your times. Noticing when is your your children, when are they more awake or when are they more aware or when when are they more willing to talk? Paying attention to those windows of opportunity. I've heard it said, I think there's a few different people have said it, so I don't know who exactly to give it credit to. I mean, our previous family pastor at the church I served at would say, and I've read it in other books as well, is is using this is like faith talks and faith walks. So the idea of just these faith talks where you're having intentional conversations about the gospel or about God. But that can come in such practical ways. It can come when you're outside. The other, when we were on vacation, we went out, we were on Jekyll Island. And in Jekyll Island at night, they really care about the sea turtles there, I guess. And so you're not allowed to have like bright lights. You have to have red lights and all these things on a certain part of the island and stuff like that. And so we go out there one of the first nights, and it's really, really dark, and you look up to the sky, and it's like, all of a sudden, you're seeing stars that you don't normally ever see in the city, and as you're looking up at the stars, and you, and you ponder and think about how big God is, so what would it look like to be, man, that is, isn't, isn't it incredible to think how, as you're just standing there with your son or your daughter, and you're standing there, and you're like, isn't it incredible how big, how, how big could God actually be, must be, If he can know all of and how smart can he be if he has a name for all of them that the Scripture says? You see, that was just a small little comment, but it's a comment that's pointed to God. It's putting God as the creator of heaven and earth. I think of our our daughter Gracelyn, who has special needs, who doesn't comprehend very much certain things. And, And a lot of the truths of Scripture, our hope is that she'll come to saving faith. But I don't even know if she's able to. I don't think she's able to yet. But for us to tell her things like, who created you, Grace? And her to be able to say, God created me. Because we're just communicating small little truths into her little heart. Sharing her about who God is and what he's done. And that God actually loves you. And then, or when, when you're teaching and having these intentional conversations, it's, it's along, the pa- along the way. Having, you know, we're going to take advantage of this road trip time. We're going to take advantage of this car ride to school. We're going to take advantage of this little moment. These little moments that we have. But it takes intentionality. It takes time to invest in our children. Take these everyday conversations and turn them into teachable moments. Number four is this. I would encourage you, this one, this one always challenges us because it's like, again, that modeling here is, is scripture memory. Memorizing scripture. I would encourage you, memorize scripture. Um, I remember when I was preaching through the Psalms, and there was one of the Psalms back, this was a year ago, and I was like, I'm going to memorize this Psalm. And I, I was like, let's, let's try to memorize it together. And so we worked on it for the, the next two weeks as I was going to preach through that Psalm for two weeks. And, and we worked together. And sure enough, it didn't take too much effort on their part. They're, they're amazing memorizers if you just work with them a little bit, even at a younger age. I think of the videos that Nate and Lauren have sent me of Lexi and her, her reciting a verse uh, in their family, and she was like three or a little under three. Um, no pressure on the rest of you, of course, you know. <laughs> but but the, the point being is this is like if you try and if you invest, if you work, listen, they'll have the capability of doing it. But here's the thing: model it. Work on scripture memory, work on memorizing scripture together. Spend time on it, invest in it, work on it, or encourage them. Um, some have maybe experienced a wana or some other Bible club type thing that would happen on Wednesday nights a lot of times in youth groups and different things like that where they're memorizing Scripture. And I remember at Calvary when they would get up and, and they would say, like, if you have stayed in the program from this, this from, from kindergarten all the way to sixth grade or something like that, it was like thousands plus verses that they had memorized during that time period. It's remarkable what the mind actually can do when it puts a little effort into it. I remember I gave that excuse, I think I said this a few, a few, several, maybe a few months ago. I remember giving that excuse to the pastor, the church that I served at, and in my interview process, I was like, yeah, I'm just not a great memorizer, you know? It's like, I, I get a little hazy with where things are sometimes. He's like, he looked at me like, uh-uh. <laughs> He's like, not, not, a, not a good enough excuse to, because really it was, it was laziness on my part. It was, it takes effort, it does. Yes, I agree, memorizing can be challenging for some. Some have learning disabilities, others may be dyslexic, different things that can prevent from that. But for most of us, we can memorize God's word and place it into our heart. Listen, this is what will instill God's commands in the hearts and minds of our children. Scripture tells us this, I'm reminding of our kids this often. It's in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, this long chapter of the Bible in Psalms it's all about God's word. And in it, it says this, um, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I think of Joshua 1.8. I think of others. I think of all the different verses in Scripture um, that tell us to, to dwell and meditate on Scripture, to let, not let it depart from our mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Being careful to do according to all that's written in it. So as you memorize verses like that, Joshua 1.8 and others to encourage and teach through that, not just to memorize this to memorize, because they need to understand what does this mean? So then you talk about the passage. What does this teach us about Jesus? What does it mean to meditate on God's word? And you might like, be like, I have no idea. And you're like, you want to Google it, like, what is meditation? Is it standing with your fingers up like this, cross legs and all that kind of yoga stuff? Or, or is it. Something deeper, is it praying God's word deeply into your heart or sitting in a text and and meditating on it and praying it and memorizing it until it gets deeper into your heart, into your understanding of it and leads you to worship. You see, you do this through Scripture memory. Another great way in seeing that next generation come to, to faith and passing the torch and passing the baton on to the next generation is serving together. I want to encourage you, serve together. You know, you can participate in community service or mission projects. Uh, I think of um, when I was a middle school pastor, I would often, and high school pastor a few years after that, I would have Colson and Levi join me on different things. I'd have them uh, every Sunday morning, and we do that now at Redeemer. Every Sunday morning, they're, they're jo- I mean, I'm waking them up. It's like 7 15. I'm like, hey, it's about time to wake up. We're going to be leaving in 20 minutes, you know, get ready. And so they're getting ready, and, and what do we do? We come up here, and, they, and Levi's, one of his main jobs is help back me in so I can back up to the trailer and hook up to the trailer uh, on Sunday mornings. And so he gets out of the car, he jumps out, and he's ready to tell me left and right, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, sorry, and I'm back into it or something and stuff. But, but he's trying to help me, and then they come in here, and they're the ones who a lot of times are the ones helping move the tables out of, this, out of this room and so that we can set up the chairs, and they're how we can help. I remember we had a, a, a ministry that we did in Charlotte, for the middle school students, it was called Mission Charlotte, and we would go, and uh, we did some sports camps at one time, one, one year we did sports camps at a, at a church in an area uh, within Charlotte, and we were there, I remember Colson was younger, he wasn't even middle school age yet, but we were working with kids that were even younger than him, and I still have a vivid memory, I think Amanda probably does too, a vivid memory, I have some pictures of it, and video of watching him sitting there with his Bible, with this little boy, um, and trying to, to teach this this child, and trying to help him memorize a verse, and trying to work on showing him where Scripture was, and he was wanting to give him a reward, and and all these different things. But I remember watching him, and, and I couldn't tell you how proud. That's one of the most proud moments of my life is watching when you're seeing your son take what he's been taught and swatch him at a very young age. I mean, he was I don't even remember. He was probably nine or probably not eight or nine or so. But watching him serve, and then them come with me. You know, and taking advantage of those car rides and taking advantage of those things. But looking at serving opportunities. Maybe it's take a mission trip together at one point if you're able to make it happen. Signing up for a, at a homeless shelter, how you can feed uh, a feed there. Or st- stepping up and seeing, like, is there a, a food driver like, Samaritan's Purse when you're putting shoe boxes together. We would, we would go because in Charlotte it was one of the main areas where it was established. And so we would go there and it was a processing center. And we'd serve there and pre- preparing the boxes and putting them out. Or maybe you go to the store together and you're buying, out di- buying different things that you're going to go take to someone. Or you take them with you when you go to buy flowers. And you're going to take flowers to someone maybe to just say, hey, we, we've been thinking about you and praying for you. Or buying some balloons. Taking them with you. Serving together can be one of the great benefits of seeing the transfer of faith to the, uh, the next generation. I don't know. Sixth is this, and we're almost, we're almost through this one, is this. is church involvement. It's just be, naturally. It's just being involved in church together, prioritizing the gathering of God's people. Prioritizing singing together, attending together, serving within the church. As I was just saying before, and but also just the priority of coming and attending and making that a priority. Uh, I remember, I think I shared this before, but I remember when I was um, when I was when I was younger and I was growing up. I was wanting to be. I was you know, aspiring baseball player, all these things, and, and wanted to, uh, to be on these travel teams. And my parents were like, listen, you can be on a travel team, but if they have games on Sunday, we're not going to those games on Sunday. And so they, 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 they decided early on in teaching me and saying, listen, we're, we're going to prioritize the gathering of God's people together. We're going to prioritize church. It's, it's going to get first place over your sports endeavors. It's going to get first place over certain things. This is going to be a priority in our home. And so naturally, seeing that as, and they see it in you, that it's not just like I'm hoping I'm dragging my kids in, but if they see that you desire to go, that you're talking about during the week, man, I can't wait. Man, that was such, or talking about it after service. You can say how crazy Eric was, or that was a weird illustration, or why did he say that, or I don't know what you say about me. But, but the point being is like, you're just talking about it, and they see your genuine excitement about the church and the body of Christ. Making your church involvement and stepping in, not just, not just being an attender, but also being a participant and serving, finding ways to get involved and in encouraging your family. And seventh, I have one more that the main one is, is number seven, and then just one kind of real practical one I want to give you at the end, but is encourage questions. Enc- encourage questions. I think one of the, the worst, worst things we can do is when our children question something, even question something from Scripture, like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I don't understand why this happened or that happened, or why does God's Word say this here, and as they get smarter and smarter, and as they're looking somewhere else, they're like, I don't see how these two go together. Don't just give them the, the pat answer of, well, it's God's Word. It's always, it's always right. Just just believe it. Like, do, don't minimize questions. Invite, you, you will invite more questions by, by answering those questions or saying, man, that's a really good question. I'm not really sure either. Let's, let's study that together. Like, let's, let's, let's investigate this a little bit more. Invite questions. Use questions. Uh, that's something that we try to do when we whether it's watching a TV show and then and then kind of recapping it like okay well what can we what can we learn from that or what can we not, what should we not be learning from that what was what was sinful or what was not like talking through those things but we do that by encouraging questions i mean allow your children to ask questions about their faith and seek answers and here's the important thing seeking answers together do that together do that as a family promise you this will foster and this will foster spiritual growth and understanding as you open the lines of communication of saying hey I welcome your questions listen listen please never 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 just assume an answer or just be like well that's just God's word I I," without really wrestling with it I think it's really good to wrestle with your doubts wrestle with like I don't understand this about this this past scripture or I don't understand how this could be God could be so good but this happened in our lives I don't understand it like instead of being like, well, son, sometimes life's hard. The end. No. And in, invite questions. And and, and and express your hurt with them and saying, like, yeah, it is really hard, isn't it? Sometimes I get confused too, relatable. Sometimes I don't fully understand. But here's what God's Word has said, and here's the promises that I am clinging to. Here's how I have clung to God's Word through this trial or that trial. Use, l- leverage the questions. Leverage them for conversation. Leverage it for deeper growth in their lives. Leverage it through inviting questions and encouraging those questions. But here's what I want to give you. Kind of a last nugget is this. Is, is in all of this, have fun together. Enjoy life together. So through the intentional conversations, have fun with it. Maybe it's on a bike ride together, but you you maybe do pause on the bike ride and talk about something spiritual. Or maybe it doesn't even have to be some Again, I'm not saying get preachy. I'm not saying, well, let's have a Bible study now that we've ridden our bikes for a little bit. Stop. Let's, Let's get down. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Let's open God's Word together. No, I mean, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is just intentional conversations of, of that giant boulder and like how can I like or that uh, man that was really awesome how you did that or the the gift of just coordination that my hands and my brain can stop the brakes on this bike and and all or the just that God has given someone the the, the mind and the and the ability to to build such unique machines and different things like to, to to enjoy the creation that God has given us but do that with having fun together now here's the thing here's something I learned several years ago. That I didn't know it was capable, but it is because <laughs> uh, I had the conversation with someone. So I was meeting with someone who was struggling and parenting and struggling with their, their teenage son and connecting with them. And I'm, I'm sharing with, him, I'm sitting down at him, uh, sitting down and talking like, well, what do you do together? What do y'all do for fun? He's like, he, he looked me straight in the eyes. and He's like, I don't know if I know how to have fun. <laughs> I'm like, well, you don't know how to have fun. Like, like, no, you know how to have fun surely everyone knows how to have fun a little bit. Like, like, even the Grinch figured it out, how to have fun, whether it was stealing stuff or not, but he was having fun doing it, right? Like, like, every, like everyone knows how to have at least fun. But here's the thing. It's, here's, this is really important, and I know it's like, like not mind-blowing or anything like that, but I want you to hear this, because my natural tendency is to have fun with the things that I think are fun, <laughs> right? Like, I enjoy sports, so like, hey, guys, let's all go play sports, not everyone doesn't want to play pickleball today. <laughs> no, not really. No, not everyone. <laughs> no. So I have to learn how to have, what is their interests? What is, and, and they're all going to be unique if you have multiple children. And listen, these principles work together, not just in parenting. This works in relationships in, in general. Is learning how to have fun together. What are, what are their interests? Okay, well, how can we, how can we have fun together? We're going to be intentional. and We're going to go, maybe they do love going to a Braves game. Well, we're going to go to a Braves game. Or maybe they like hiking, so we're going to go to Stone Mountain today. We're going to go up to the northeast Georgia area. Or someone likes fishing, so we're going to go fishing. Or we, All kinds of likes. Someone really loves reading a book. Uh, we're going to read a book together, I guess. I don't know. But the point being is this, is, is have fun. Learn how to have fun. Make it enjoyable. Make your home full of laughter and joy and happiness put Christ at the center but let it not be like a, a like we have to be somber and we're like monks in our home no like let it be joyful like have fun when you're singing songs together You know, one person can start trying to play a drum. Another can be, we did, I mean, we had some of those, like there was an air guitar happening in the house. Someone's trying to play a bongo and another's, I I, I think like, I mean, if if you've been to Kay and David's house, there's like all these musical instruments and they're doing like a marching band through the house, playing like these, like all these, it's really loud. A recorder, you know, the, the, why do they teach, you ever wonder why they teach you the recorder? It's one of the worst sounding (laughs) instruments. And it's like, let's teach all the children how to play the recorder. Um, yeah, but you can play the recorder if you want and have some fun with it. Let them <laughs> toot away or whatever the word is. I don't know. Um, the point being is this make your home a place of fun and joy and laughter and happiness. And guess what? You can do all of that. You can serve and have fun. You can have family devotions and make them fun. You can even memorize scripture and have fun. You can be involved in church and, and see that as fun and, and make find ways to make it fun or, or find out what their gifted is and gifts are and start to how can we use their gifting within the church? Listen, you can even make questions and encouraging questions fun. Let it all be there, but I want you to root it everything in the gospel. You see, here's the, the, the gospel is in this passage even. She says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You this is the command, is to love God with all of our heart. Why does God deserve our worship? Why does he deserve my love? One, it's because of who he is. We sung this earlier. Holy God. He is this holy God who deserves all of our praise. But if you read this passage, we looked at it a little bit last week, is we see what God has done. Because you see, as you look at it, and notice, look at verse 12. Actually, you can go back. Go back to verse 11. He says, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, he's like, of all these things that you didn't do for yourself, that you were incapable of doing, that I provided for you, listen what he says, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see, it is the grace of God that is the motivator in all of this. It is God's grace to us that God, in his love, chose to open my eyes to my need of a savior. And he bridged that gap that I couldn't meet. My goodness was never good enough. So Jesus came, and he lived and he died. He lived a sinless life, and he died the death that I deserved so that I could be made right with him, that I couldn't get there. I just was falling short. Listen, if any of you have tried, I tried really hard. I tried hard from when I was about five years old to at least 17. I was trying. I, I was the chaplain of my class in, as I went to a Christian school, from like middle school all the way through my senior year. But I would say most of those years I was not a follower of Jesus. I was trying to follow, but I was doing it all on my own. I was doing it all in my effort. And I was trying to earn God's, God's love, God's respect, God's happiness and His, and His love towards me. I was trying to gain it, and I couldn't gain it. That's why I needed Jesus. And so we teach them the gospel and we teach them what God has done in us. Show them that through your confession, show them through seeking repentance, show them through your teaching, show them Christ, show them the gospel, show them who God is and what he has done for them. Point them to a savior when they've fallen short and you have to discipline them, discipline them with love and not anger. Don't discipline them with your frustration of them getting in the way. And I I confess I've done that. You you can discipline because of embarrassment or annoyance. Like, let's be real. We can do that. Oftentimes we do that. A lot of our discipline is rooted in, in our own sin sometimes. The gospel tells us that we're not good enough. And guess what? Your children are human and they're sinful. They're going to fall short. They need to see that you love them in spite of it. They need to see your grace to them as well. Expose them to the gospel early on. There's some really, really practical ways. I want to grab them here. I have them on the front row. There's a few books I wanted to encourage you uh, with. One is uh, this. Our, my children, we've, we've started and stopped this a few times over the years, but um, it's called Exploring the Bible. Um, a Bible reading plan for kids by David Murray. I have a few of these, so if you see me, I'm happy to give them to you. I have about, I think, five or six of them, and I would say this age range would be their readers, so they can read Scripture uh, and write, and so, but it's very, very, very simple, but it's a Scripture reading through Scripture, so it's starting in Genesis, doing some of the main passages through the storyline of redemption all the way to Revelation, Um, but a, a great resource just for Bible reading. So, like, for instance, if you were to and it would be like on Monday, for instance, and there'd be a, a verse to memorize, kind of a theme verse for that week to work on uh, during the week. But, and then you put some prayer points in there as well. So there might be like, for instance, if you started this from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1 would be the snapshot verse to memorize, okay, in the beginning um, as, as God created the heavens and the earth. And so they would write that verse there. And so together with them, if maybe you have different range of kids with that specific child, maybe you work together on this. And on Monday, they would read just about six verses, and then write, and they have one question to kind of answer from. And so they do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, it has a place for them to take notes from their Redeemer kids, or something like that, if they're old enough. But this is a really good resource. Uh, Another one is this, if you're just kind of starting out in this, this is a really small, simple, very, very simple book. It's called Bible Reading with Your Kids, A Simple Guide for Every Father. Um, Obviously, um, mothers can do this as well, but I would encourage fathers, if the father is in, in place and in the home, uh, to do that, to, to lead out in this way. He's going to talk to the father, but obviously it's practical enough that it can be any, for anything. But it, it, talks you, it talks you through like actual Bible readings. Like, all right, we're going to read together John 1, for instance, say, say a section of John 1. You're going to read it, and then but it's very, very practical in showing you what that can look like and for the different stages as well, starting around, you know, as they can begin to read, uh, or even, uh, not even read, but more, I would say about age three, he would say, as you're reading, like just reading scripture to them. And then he gives you some really helpful guides and how to interact, that, and, and interact in that discussion and that kind of stuff. So uh, Bible reading for three to six, and he does seven to 12 as well. Um, some, and he even has sample reading plans for you to do. Another really, really good resource that has kind of been a, a help uh, for me as well is called Family Discipleship. Um, by Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin, I believe. Um, but really, really, really practical, I would say. Um, very practical um, guide on, on what it can look like to be very intentional in all these areas that I've been talking about over this series. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned Paul David Tripp's book, Parenting, as well. I believe we have that one uh, in the lobby. Um, but listen, as a church, we want nothing more is to help equip you to be the primary disciple makers in your homes. We want to be resource givers. We want to be coming alongside through the struggles and through the challenges of parenting and helping you through the stages because there's milestones that they hit, like important milestones as they transition into, uh, into uh, elementary school, even as they transition into to the, the, the teenage years, as they transition to middle school and high school years. And each of those are m- really milestone moments in their lives. And to celebrate those and, and, t- and all... The, I have so many things I could give you. I only wanted to put it in a few, in a few weeks of a series. But I want to encourage you to be intentional. There's a lot, at, a lot at stake. I mean, think about that. One million to five. 4,000 in just a few hundred years. Man, that may that not be so with our children as we invest in the next generation. So let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, the gift of your word. We thank you for this command in scripture to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. Can't help but think of our, our scripture reading from earlier as well. God, uh, we see all of those things, and none of us have a pure heart. None of us can do those things that the psalmist was saying. We're just not good enough. That's why we needed a Savior. And so I thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to live the life that we um, should have lived, the perfect, sinless life, and died the death that we deserved, and rose to new life so that we could also have life in His name. And so we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to, to bear the weight of this responsibility in parenting. And so for some that maybe are are younger and they're like, I'm not, this is so far ahead of me, or others that are like, I don't even know if I really want to have kids. I pray that we would still, as a church body, that we would invest in our children or our friends' children as we invest in the lives of those around us, whether it's serving in our Redeemer kids or encouraging and praying for the parents in our church. I pray that we would all do something. And so, Father, help us in all these ways. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we thank you for this gift that has been given to us. I pray that we would take this gift and share it um, to the next generation. Father, we do all of these things not in our own power. We're incapable. And so this is why we need you. And so as we respond in this last song, I pray that, that we would really believe the truths of these words, that we need you every hour. We need you. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for for sending uh, Jesus to, to, to live that life for us. Thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. And so go before us as we try to maybe implement some of these things for the first time this week. Help us in all these ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can stand.